0: If you think about with autoimmunity, the immune system is kind of like attacking a part, a system in the body. It's rejecting a system or part of the body thinking that it's not part of it. And what I find energetically is that within themselves there's oftentimes something within them that they don't accept. So they're rejecting a part of themselves welcome to she leads first
1: a podcast for female entrepreneurs who are ready to build a brand that will become a revenue generating machine hey guys i'm emily sincata a brand and business strategist with years of experience in both marketing and online product development Each week, myself and my guests are going to share our own experiences and knowledge with you so that you can figure out exactly what about your brand is going to keep people coming back for more. You'll leave this podcast equipped with the confidence to tackle those big goals that are going to scale the impact of your brand and your bank account. It's time for you to embody that CEO energy and start leading first. After all, you're building more than just a business, you are building a movement. Today's episode is with Michelle Dauker, who is an intuitive career pivot mentor for highly ambitious, sensitive people who are ready to make career moves that allow your dream life to unfold. And I have to say that this interview may be one of my favorite ones to date. And the conversation unfolded in such a beautiful and at times even unexpected way as we dove deeper and deeper into Michelle's story, how she navigated her health and wellness herself, How that led her to these aha moments around her intuition and her own career development, and knowing if she was in alignment or out of alignment with her work, and how she now helps her clients to make the same pivots and navigate them in a really helpful and intuitive way. And so, we went into nooks and crannies that I wasn't even expecting when we set up this episode. So, I cannot wait for you to dive into everything that we talk about and learn from all of her wisdom and life experience that she brings forward. I will say that this conversation is like, a warm hug, but also a pat on the back and validation of all of the feelings that you might feel as you move through building your business and navigating pivots and wondering if you can drop certain pieces of your identity that got you to where you are now in order to get where you're going. From start to finish, I loved this episode and I know that you are too. Michelle supports her clients to make the changes to their careers that bring all of their deepest desires for freedom and impact into reality and we get into all of it inside this episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Leads First. Today, I am joined by Michelle Dauker, who is a naturopathic doctor turned intuitive career pivot coach and mentor. And we have such a fulfilling and deep conversation to go into today that I can't wait to dive into. But first off, Michelle, welcome
0: to the show. How are you? Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Great.
1: Ah, fantastic. We were chatting a little bit before we even hit record here and it's got me so just excited to dive into the nooks and crannies of this because even just talking to you a little bit about your background, you told me like this has been a 20-year journey in the making and I'm excited to dive into all of it and all of the pivots that you've been through. And before we do dive in, I just want to say to everyone like this is a conversation about Pivots. This is a conversation about being okay to change your mind, to change your career, to change the way that you're doing things because it is part of the process, right? Like, nobody really gets it right on the first try of like, this is what my business is meant to be in its final form. Like, that's very unheard of. And it's something that I talk about with every guest that comes on this show. And you happen to be an expert in navigating those pivots. So I know that everyone is going to get so much out of this conversation. For us to dive in, I would love to start with the background, with the story. How did you get from being, well, first a naturopathic doctor to what you do now? And I know that, like you said, it even started way before that. So bring me back to the beginning and give me kind of the high level overview of how you got into this work that you
0: do now. I'll go really quickly over some of the things that happened way back when. My goal was actually to go into medicine, be a, a medical doctor, go into medical research. And that was where I had started my studies when I was in undergrad in biomedical science. And during that time, I was extremely sick and I was getting sicker and sicker and no medical doctor could tell me what was wrong. I was trying all the medications, all the things. I had chronic migraines, chronic sinus infections, rashes, hives, all the things were happening and I was exhausted to the point where once I finished my research master's, I had to stop. I had to stop school. I was just too sick to continue. And so I took a job. Actually, I ended up working in underwriting in corporate. (laughs) While I was doing that, a friend of mine suggested I see a holistic nutritionist. And 20 years ago, I didn't know what that was. So, right, I only knew about you're sick, you go to the doctor. And so I went to this holistic nutritionist and she told me to eliminate dairy and gluten. And 20 years ago, this wasn't really a thing. So I told her she was crazy and she said, just do it. (laughs) And so I did, and within two weeks, the migraine stopped, the sinus infection cleared up, the hives stopped, the rashes stopped, everything just went away. Wow. Within a couple of weeks, all of it was clearing up. Within a month, I was like, what happened? <laughs> After years and years and years of being, of, of trying everything under the sun that the doctors had given me.
1: I need to learn everything about this now. <laughs>
0: Exactly. This was a really pivotal point for me in terms of recognizing that my health is more than just taking medications. And as I was healing physically from all of this, right, I was working this corporate job and all of a sudden I was recognizing as I was growing healthier and stronger, this is not where I'm meant to be. I don't want to stay here forever. You know, I had a benefit plan. I had a retirement package. I had, you know, all the things laid out the stock options, everything. I could have been solid for life in that position. And I told myself, I couldn't do this. I need to follow this call. There's something more. And there's something to the fact that if you change your diet and lifestyle, all of a sudden I got way better.
1: Yeah. I mean, that sounds like miraculous when you hear the story.
0: Right. <laughs> so that was. Sort of like my first moment of realization and reckoning that got me to the first pivot in my career, which was to go back to school for four years to become an naturopathic doctor.
1: Wow! So you left corporate at that point.
0: Everyone thought I was crazy. <laughs> I'm, <sure> I <laughs> I'm giving up this job to go spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars to go become an naturopathic doctor. Wow. <laughs> oh. How do you find the, the courage to do that? I mean, when everybody is
1: like, are you crazy? And you're like, okay, this is also going to cost me a lot of money to go back to school.
0: How do you trust that instinct, that pull? How do you know that that's the right decision? At the time, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> At the time, I just knew, I knew that I couldn't stay where I was. Right? It was kind of like the pain of staying was greater than the pain of the unknown. Sure.
1: That, that is very relatable. And I think if I think back to every time I've made a big life decision, that's the feeling, right? It's like, well, I can't do this anymore. So what can I do instead?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you mm-hmm. went back to school.
0: Yeah. I knew that there was this urge within me to kind of share with the world what I discovered for myself.
1: And so that turned you into, is this the pivot that brought us to being a naturopathic
0: doctor then? So then after I graduated, uh, I graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto, Canada, and I picked up and moved to British Columbia, Canada on the west coast of the country, and started local clinical practice, and did that for many years. And I was finding as I was seeing patients, because this is the thing, especially when you're working in a small town like I was everyone and everything is going to be coming into the door from sore throats to you know sore backs to rashes to stress to you know everything and it was really great practice for me to see and deal with all of the things but as i was doing that i was noticing that there were certain types of people that i enjoyed working with the most certain types of cases that i enjoyed working with the most and i was recognizing that a piece of that was the people who were willing to dive deeper than just what do I eat and what supplements do I take? And they were open to looking at how is my stress and my emotions impacting my physical health?
1: Because it's all related, isn't it? (laughs) I'm like nodding my head thinking about my own health journey on this as well too. (laughs) Oh man. So
0: how did that transition
1: you to today?
0: During all of that, around 2015, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. At that time, I decided that it was time for me to move back east where my family was. I also, there was other personal reasons, including my relationship. Ironically enough, the timing was perfect. He was working a contract on the West Coast, and his contract was coming up, and he had to go back home to the east. So he asked me, do you want to come with me? You're going to be closer to your family. (laughs) So everything just kind of lined up. And I closed up my practice and said, okay, well, I'm going to move back east and I'm just going to start fresh, a new practice the same way that I did when I was out west.
1: Is this pre online space being so big? Yeah. So you had a physical location that you closed down. Yeah. And we're moving over. Oh, that's a
0: big feat too. Yeah. So I thought it was going to be easy peasy to start a new local clinical practice in person, but the universe had different. Plans for me. (laughs) So, I mean, first of all, during that time when I'm trying to start a new practice, my mother was getting worse. So, I had to take time and go be with her for weeks and months at a time, which I'm so glad that I did. She ended up passing away in 2016. And I got home, and the fact that I had just gone through this exhausting experience taking care of my mom. I was dealing with all of this grief. All of a sudden, I spiraled into the worst autoimmune and endometriosis flare of my life. And to the point where it was hard to function. I was bed bound for a few months. And so it was really hard for me, I would basically pull myself out of bed to go see a few patients at my local clinic, and then come home and go back to bed and i had this double challenge of where i lived was 100% french which is not my native language i speak french i am what we would consider bilingual but i don't have all of the terminology because i studied all my naturopathic medicine in english so i lack a lot of terminology when it came to that and it was really challenging to, you know, really get across what I wanted to, especially when it came to looking at stress and emotions and really going deep with a client, that was really challenging in another language.
1: Oh yeah, with all the nuance of those conversations, that you really do want to be able to find the right words. Like I can see how that would be very challenging if you're also shifting into the translation of it as well. I'm so curious just your thoughts on this. I have a few friends who have autoimmune diseases and We have a lot of conversations about, you know, when the flare-ups occur and and what's going on in their life. And it's almost like we've had this conversation before of like, you were placed on this earth with such a strong signal of when something is out of alignment in your life, because your body is going to tell you and it's going to scream it at you. And I'm curious if you've had that kind of same experience with yours and how you relate to it. Cause that's how a lot of my friends have described it of like, if something's off, my body's going to tell me by making me very sick, very fast.
0: Exactly. And I would agree the same thing for me. Really looking back in hindsight, this flare that I had not, you know, I, there was this emotional stress going on, but I think there was this other part of it that what I was trying to force myself to do by starting this brand new clinic locally, it just wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And the more I forced and forced and forced and tried to push to make it happen, I could see I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Wow.
1: Yeah, you literally have that reflection in your body of like this isn't the right thing. But I can only imagine that at that point, you know, you went back to school for this. You walked away from the cushy corporate job. You maybe took out student loans to pay for school. Like I can only imagine there was this this strong logical side of your brain that's like you can't give this up.
0: Exactly. And the other aspect of it was especially my mother. Her whole life goal dream for me was to become a doctor.
1: Oh, wow. that That's going to be intermingled
0: in that too. Right. So, I mean, through all of this, going back to the story, and this might be helpful, kind of looking at what's going on with autoimmunity. As I'm pushing myself to kind of force this to work and it's not working and I'm getting sicker and sicker, I decided to take a step back from clinic and said, I'm just going to take a break. And it was during that time that I started to do a little bit of research to try to help myself because everything that I had tried up to that time to help my physical symptoms wasn't working. AIP, autoimmune protocol diet, all the supplements, all kinds of different things. And that's when I discovered a therapeutic diet that's highly controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have heard of it. It's called the carnivore diet. Ah. Yes. Made popular by Joe Rogan. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was actually popular before then. He's the person I've heard speak most loudly about it. So maybe that's just why I've come across it. (laughs) Yeah. I think I stumbled across it when it was kind of in its infancy. There was a medical doctor in the States, Sean Baker. I think he was the one who really started to get the ball rolling on this. And he was just starting to get the ball rolling on this. And I thought, well, what do I have to lose? (laughs) I'm going to try it. It's harsh, right? You eat Only meat, water, and salt. Can you eat fruit on that? So, I mean, there's different renditions of it now, but in terms of like, if you want to go full, like what they call lion diet, which is like the ultimate elimination diet, they suggest that you only do meat, water, and salt. And they suggest that you start with only ruminant meat, like beef or lamb, water, and salt. It sounds so crazy
1: when you also are used to what we are told is not good for you, which is like red meat and salt. (laughs) So what was like the thought process behind adopting this? And do you still, are you still on it?
0: No, I'm not still on it. Although meat is still sort of like the base of my diet. What happened was within three days of going on this diet, I got my energy back. like. My husband was like, What happened? You're yourself again. After months of not being able to function, there was something to this. Were you eating meat prior to it? Yeah. But I was also eating a lot of other things. Even though I was autoimmune protocol, so I was only eating foods that were like technically non reaction for the immune system or non reactive, there was a lot of vegetables, a lot of fiber, a lot of different types of foods that now I see now could potentially be reactive, particularly when your nervous and immune system are in a highly triggered state, like mine was. I have a friend who
1: is a gut health specialist, and she has shared bits and pieces of that with me. Of like, like you're saying, when you're you're already in a triggered or inflamed state, sometimes things like vegetables can actually be harder on your system to digest. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but that's what I've understood. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's some things in vegetables that are kind of like their natural defense system, right? Against bugs, against bacteria. And in small amounts, they don't necessarily cause problems for the average human. But when you are in that reactive state, the immune system might start to have problems with those components of vegetables. Just so interesting. Okay. So you go on this carnivore diet. And I went oh my gosh, Like, what's going on here? I dove into some rabbit holes of research to understand what was actually happening. And this was like the step of me going, you know what? I'm going to play my hand with going online. And I went online with this, specifically helping Other women like me with endometriosis or autoimmunity or chronic illness who tried all the other things, including AIP, including all the things that they could think of, and using this as sort of like the ultimate elimination diet to kind of get them stable. And the thing for me is I recognized that carnivore helped significantly, but only to a degree. There was this other component of it, which was this, my nervous system was stressed out. (laughs) And there were some other aspects to look at that were deeper that I hadn't looked at within myself emotionally. And I think that going through all the grief of the loss of my mother was like the turning point to start to get me to look at that stuff. And what I found was that carnivore got me to a certain level. And then continuing on to this inner emotional healing journey is what got me even better. And so I took that with the clients that I was working with and we would use the carnivore as the ultimate elimination diet. And then I would guide them through what I had been going through in terms of inner emotional healing work.
1: Wow. So it's, it really is like this taking the health a full layer deeper. So moving past just mitigating the symptoms, but going deeper into well, what's the almost emotional, would you call it that? Like emotional cause beneath it.
0: Yes. The emotional roots of the physical illness.
1: And what kinds of things, so you, you obviously worked with clients on that. And so I'm sure you've seen many different causes, but what are some of the, the types of things that can cause us to have these kind of physical health issues coming up, but really it's like, there's something deeper that needs to be healed. Are there some common patterns of things like for you, it, you said it was, there was grief that, or maybe the grief was what drove you to look at what the deeper thing was too. But what are some of those things that can cause us to have the physical symptoms?
0: Yeah. So what I really found through research, through my own learnings and experience and through working with clients is, I mean, first of all, it's your inner emotional terrain. especially in terms of what's going on with your own relationship with yourself. This is a big thing, especially for people who are dealing with autoimmunity. So if you think about with autoimmunity, the immune system is kind of like attacking a part, a system in the body. It's rejecting a system or part of the body thinking that it's not part of it. And what I find energetically is that within themselves, there's oftentimes something within them that they don't accept. So they're rejecting a part of themselves. And so what I find, especially for the people with autoimmunity, is working on that, like, accepting all the parts of yourself with compassion to shift that energetically. Because it puts a lot of pressure on your nervous system when you're constantly, like, not accepting yourself, you have the inner pressure, and then you've got these survival coping patterns that go along with it, like people-pleasing and perfectionism and rescuing others to try to get yourself to feel better in some way by getting other people's recognition validation or try to get yourself to feel safe in some way because you don't feel safe on the inside.
1: That is like a very profound analysis, I think. And I'm sitting here kind of just reflecting on how I see this play out You know, in my own journey and just thinking about women I've worked with as well too, because I almost feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong or let me know your take on this, as we step into coaching positions where we are suddenly very visible and have to present ourselves online, if you have something that you are hiding or that you don't love of yourself, it gets heightened. And then those people pleasing mechanisms or whatever coping mechanisms we have to try to feel love. It's like they get heightened. It's like putting fuel to the fire and it's like they come out in full force. And I I see this happen in people's coaching
0: businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, if you think about it, they're protective mechanisms. They're there to try to help us to feel safe when we might not necessarily feel safe. So when you're out there and you're fully visible, that doesn't feel super safe it's an unexpected piece of the
1: job. You're like, wait, I just wanted to help people. And now I have to look at myself and I have to heal these pieces of
0: myself. Yeah. And I mean, this is the thing though as well, you know, to be the most effective coach, practitioner, and leader, you can only lead people as far as you've gone yourself. You can only take people as deep as you've gone yourself.
1: So true. And it's why the work is never ending. And it's why the joke is like building a business is just personal development in disguise. (laughs) Is it so true. You have to face these pieces of yourself to move forward. And I think particularly in spaces that we are in, like coaching spaces where we're helping people improve their lives. So how does this take you into the pivot that you have now or the version of your your business that you have now?
0: Yeah, so- What I was finding as I was working with these clients, right, we would like start with the elimination diet, we would then go into the emotional healing work, which helps to, I mean, if you look just a very side note from a scientific perspective, I've come across some studies from 2021 that showed that when you look at autoimmunity and endometriosis, there's this component of the immune system is has become dysfunctional. And what they found was that there's a precursor to the immune system being becoming dysfunctional and it's nervous system dysregulation. So when the nervous system is dysregulated, right, you've got lots of stress, you've got lots of inner pressure, you're operating out of survival mode, all of the stuff is dysregulating the nervous system, which then causes the immune system to go all haywire. So when you do this deeper work, you start with regulating the nervous system, then you start to make peace with all the parts of yourself instead of like putting pressure on yourself and finding safety from within yourself so you're no longer operating from those survival behaviors. And when that happens, there's so much less pressure on the nervous system, and that gives the opportunity for the immune system to calm down and normalize itself. And so then we can like focus on food reintroductions. And, you know, their health improves and they get stronger and they get healthier. Relationships improve. And what I was finding was that once all of these things happened, there were some of my clients who were now in this new space of what I call inner liberation. Right. When you kind of awaken to this whole new like layer of reality of yourself and who you really are and what you really want And they kind of went, well, now that I'm like more me, I see that my work is so not aligned. I don't want to be doing what I'm doing anymore now that I'm healed. And what I was finding was that I was, those clients really lit me up. I enjoyed working with them once they got to that place. And then they're like, I want to make a pivot in my career or my business. And I was like, let's go. And what I recognized was, well, if I'm helping these clients to align themselves to work that lights them up, I've got to analyze myself and where I am and what I'm doing.
1: Sure that mirror of like okay I'm helping other people with this do I need to do the same thing in my life
0: (laughs) and so that was like the beginning of like stepping into the void for me before stepping into this pivot of like this title that I have now was asking all of the questions of okay but I'm a naturopathic doctor that doesn't make any sense that's not what we do (laughs) Right, that identity piece. (laughs) Is it wise to make this change? Because I've, I'm already seeing this level of success with what I'm doing. And just because I enjoy it, and it lights me up, is this practical?
1: Yeah, the logical brain really steps in when you want to do something that's scary. It's like, uh uh-uh, you don't have any evidence to support this. That's just a feeling, let it go. (laughs) (laughs) But the irony that keeps us stuck too then though, of like, that's how we stay in something where we then potentially even get more and more stressed as we go along.
0: Exactly. And I mean, that's the thing, right? These are our protective parts, the survival parts of like, you know, we need to stay safe. But the thing is, is the things, the decisions, the actions, and the behaviors that help us to survive are not going to be the same things that help us to thrive.
1: Okay. So you mentioned a couple of things that I want to dig into a little bit. The first one that I think is so interesting is when you regulate your nervous system, which a lot of times I would imagine comes off the back end of a very stressful time of life or going through something that's maybe even a little bit traumatic or maybe just a little bit tough, or maybe you've just been chronically stressed and you finally were like, I'm going to do something about this, or I need to do something about this. It brings up this feeling of like, okay, now what? (laughs) When we're at that stage what do we start to do? Like, what questions do you start to ask yourself? How do you know if something really is off in your career and in what you're doing and in your business, or if it's something off in you that needs to be regulated? Like, how do we navigate
0: this feeling of like, maybe something needs to shift? I mean, this is the thing. It can be kind of confusing because you can have all sorts of different signals and messages coming. It might be coming from your intuition. It might be coming from your protective parts. It might be coming from some aspects of past trauma. It could be coming from, you know, your logical mind. And it's really hard to navigate. And I think that the feeling that comes through that people only know how to articulate is like, I want to burn it all down. And I mean, sometimes that's what needs to happen, but not all the time. (laughs) Not all the time, yeah, maybe sometimes. (laughs) I did kind of burn down my past iteration of my work when I let go of my naturopathic doctor title but it took several pivots of like little tweaks little shifts before i got to this place where okay i'm ready to let go now
1: yeah so you you mentioned also the concept of the void the in between there can you talk to me about what that is
0: before i forget i just wanted to mention the very first thing to do for anybody who might be questioning is this my protective part is this my intuition is this my head who's speaking here to really work on nervous system regulation.
1: Mm. You are not the first person on this podcast to say that. So I'm glad you said it again.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a really important foundation, I think for, for everyone to take a look at and that will help things feel and look a little bit clearer. So that's the first step to take a look at. So
1: for somebody who doesn't know necessarily what that means, what are some of the ways that we can look into regulating our nervous system or tools that we can look into?
0: Maybe regulating isn't the optimal word, but it's more like strengthening your nervous system adaptation and what we call widening that window of tolerance. So that when a stress does come, you have a wider window of tolerance, your resiliency and your level of capability to adapt and not get sort of like throw your nervous system into a tailspin is just stronger. That makes
1: sense. That's kind of like why we do, or not everybody, but the concept behind, I feel like, ice baths of you're widening that window.
0: Exactly. And so, I mean, ice baths is a really great way. Breathing is huge. And I mean, all of these things, so ice baths, breathing, even things like humming and singing And the reason why all of these work is because it is getting your vagus nerve involved. And your vagus nerve is what sort of directs and controls and manages your parasympathetic nervous system, which is that you want to be in that ventral vagal sort of rest and digest state more often than not. And that's how your window of tolerance widens. And cold ice baths, when you breathe, The base of your lungs and your diaphragm stretches and your vagus nerve innervates your diaphragm. It also innervates the back of your throat and your palate, which is why humming and singing can be helpful. So there's lots of different ways like that that can be helpful.
1: And so if I'm summarizing you correctly, then that's the first step because we need to calm ourselves back down, basically. Yeah.
0: So with all of my clients, we always start with doing a little bit of nervous system support work first. And then that really just gives you the foundation to kind of like build the house, right? Because if you have a poor foundation of being stressed out and lacking that window of tolerance, then it's going to be hard to build a house
1: so if somebody is like in a chronically stressed state or maybe they've just been in a period where it's particularly heightened, is there like a time frame of how long it might take somebody to generally come back into a more baseline regulated state if they're used to being you know up here a little bit? Overstressed.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it really depends on the person, especially if you're used to being stressed. I find this often that once you start doing the nervous system regulation work, you might be noticing that calm feels triggering.
1: (laughs) I know exactly what you mean.
0: Mm -hmm. Because it's familiar, right? Your nervous system is familiar with that state and it's not familiar with feeling calm. So, because it's not familiar, it doesn't feel safe.
1: So it's almost like retraining your body to come back down and accept this new baseline, this new way of operating. And I would imagine that it's not like just do breath work once and you're good. It's kind of like, let's shift how you've been operating. Like, let's shift your habits here a little bit.
0: Exactly. And another part of that that comes up for me to mention is oftentimes we have a tendency to kind of be up in our head. And here's the thing about our nervous system, 80% of our parasympathetic nervous fibers are actually going from the body up to the brain. There's only 20% going from the brain down to the body. And so this is where like somatic work and actually getting into your body and getting out of your head (laughs) is also another really important piece of this work because that's where your intuition speaks actually is through your body. It's not speaking up here.
1: Yeah, that has been such a big thing I've learned in the last year that I'm like, everybody needs to know about this. Like, (laughs) It's so true what you're saying of like getting out of your head and into your body. That was always a hard thing for me to understand when people said it. Is there like a way that you can help us understand what it means or feels like to be in your body versus in your head? Because like you said, so many of us just default to we're up here. We're up here in our thoughts all day. We're not in our body. But what does that really mean and feel like?
0: It can be a whole process. It's one thing to articulate it and understand it from an intellect level, but it's another thing to actually experience it. One starting point can be when you start exploring maybe doing breath work is to actually being paying attention to how that breath actually feels while you're doing it. Right? Feeling, you know, the abdomen expand and feeling what it feels like is it coming in through your nose, like those types of things can be a starting point to help you start to actually notice your body. Because oftentimes, especially when we're in stress mode, survival mode, protection mode, we kind of dissociate from our body and we're just kind of up here. I think the way that
1: you just said that is a very good way to articulate it because it is almost like a a dissociation. It's like you only feel your existence like from the neck up. Like you only feel your cognition in your brain and not, okay, what am I actually experiencing in my physical body right now? And even things for me, like just sharing a personal example, it comes up of like noticing how my digestion feels and things like that. If I'm in my head, I'm so cut off to everything, which fully cuts me off too then, to these, these gut pings of, I think you should do
0: this. Absolutely. And also being present in the moment. Oftentimes, there's this tendency to be thinking a million miles ahead, the what-ifs, the to-do lists. And this is a way for us to try to feel in control of something that maybe we might not necessarily feel in control of. But it takes us away from the only moment that we can actually control with our actions. And it disconnects us to our the whole experience of being connected. I'm thinking about how this shows up in
1: entrepreneurship because that is so Relevant and pertinent to so many people, just used to being busy and having the to do list. It's almost like when you're so caught up in that, you don't even know what's wrong, you just know you feel off. And it could very much be something needs to shift in your business, or maybe you just need to put a stronger emphasis on nervous system regulation and taking care of yourself in the day to day. But you don't get that clarity, you, nothing's going to shift until you say, Okay, I'm going to prioritize this, I'm going to prioritize. Myself first, so I can get to a place where I am thinking clearly. I almost feel like that's the hardest step of all of this putting yourself first.
0: Yeah, especially when we're conditioned, especially as women, we're conditioned to put everyone else first, make sure everyone's taken care of and happy before you take care of yourself. We've been led to believe that it's selfish to make ourselves that priority. And this is kind of like this conditioned belief that's been passed down from generation to generation.
1: It is. It really is. And it's really tough, especially when there's so much praise too on hustle and being busy. You're like, no, I'm gonna keep doing this and I'm gonna keep helping other people also because then I feel good that I made them feel good and I don't need to worry about how I'm feeling because I'm feeling good about that. Like
0: (laughs) Exactly. And so this is it kind of creates this like constant chase of like seeking helping other people so that you feel better, but you never actually fully feel better. So you push yourself more to help other people to feel better and it creates this the cycle that's hard to break first of all and burns you out and also it's kind of like operating from level 2 consciousness i don't know if you're familiar with the four levels of consciousness no please tell me so the first level of consciousness is four there's to me by me through me and as me so the first level of consciousness to me you kind of feel like everything's happening to you and you have no power you have no choice there's kind of it's like that victim consciousness I used to see a lot, like say, for example, people looking to a doctor to fix them with pills are often coming from this to me consciousness. I would imagine most of the world is operating in that. Yeah, a large percentage. Actually, I recently read that 97% of the world is operating 90% of the time out of levels one and two.
1: Mm. So interesting. So what's level two?
0: So level two is by me. You start to recognize that if you make changes to your actions, then you can change what's happening in your life and your reality. So you feel in control. I saw this a lot in terms of this is who I used to be helping in terms of, oh, if I make a change to my diet, then my health improves. But the thing is with buy Me, there's like a ceiling in terms of how far that will get you. You recognize I take action, I get results, and it's all about the action that I take. But there's a limit to how much action you can take before you're locked into this constant hustle and burning out. So there's a ceiling of where level two can take you. And that's usually when people then will go into level three because oftentimes when they're burnt out and there's got something's got to give, there's got to be a different way. And level three is understanding that reality and life happens through you when you stop trying to control, force, push, and hustle. So it's kind of like surrendering the control of trying to be the one who's like. The one putting it together and realizing that if you can relax into flow, then things come to you through you. Okay. My brain
1: is like putting together so many different things I've heard too around this. Like, one, when you said that, that made me think this is so much of what people talk about when they talk about manifestation of like that surrender piece, that realizing of like, you're not going to make this happen, you're going to surrender into this happening. That also feels like it's the point too where your nervous system is regulated, where you do get to kind of drop back and sit back and maybe be more in receiving mode. Am I putting that together correctly?
0: Yes, you're definitely regulated at this point in terms of your nervous system. And I like to use an ancient Chinese term, which is called Wu Wei. And what Wu Wei stands for is effortless action. So it's not that you're not taking action. It's not that you're not doing things, but you're in the flow. You're not trying to force and push. You're going with like the current of the river instead of trying to swim against it.
1: That's when work feels easy, not like work.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And then that's when things that you would have never even imagined, you know, appear as you're in the flow and you're not trying to force it. You're allowing things to move through you.
1: When it feels like magic,
0: when it's just dropping in. Yes, exactly. So that's who the work in the inner liberation method that I created. I was bringing people from level two into level three. And then they get into level three and they're like, the work I'm doing <laughs> is not aligned. And then level four is as me. And it's a lot more rare. And oftentimes we understand it logically before we can understand it from like a cell Body based level. And this is understanding that you create the world as you because we are all connected. I am you and you are me. And there's no good or bad, right or wrong. It just is. There's this one term that they use is non duality. We're all equal, we're all one. And you are operating from this place of like ultimate inner peace. And ultimately, I guess another word you could use is enlightenment.
1: Is that something that we can stay in? Is it something that most people even get to experience that feels like kind of like the ultimate existence?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this is the thing with these four levels. It's not like linear, like you just go and then you're up here and you stay here. You can kind of like flick back and forth between the different layers, the different levels. And especially when you hit challenges or roadblocks, you might be operating as your more common set point in level three, but then you come across a challenge and now you're finding yourself hustling again in level two as you're getting through the challenge. And sometimes you might even have like a really big thing happen and you end up feeling kind of like victim-y for a minute. You go back into level one
1: exactly what I was just thinking of like something that majorly triggers you and you find yourself back in that victim place and you're like ah shoot like (laughs) I have to get myself out of this which I would imagine puts you into step two until you're like
0: okay I need to chill like (laughs) let me get to step three. As you get more confident with the different levels and like understanding how to like live it and not just understand it up here it can be easier to kind of move through the different levels I'd say like I've had pieces I can flick back and forth to understanding in level four, but I definitely can't say that I'm like there all the time.
1: I would imagine very almost no one is. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, I'm, I'm sure it's quite rare. I'm sure people who are committed to meditating in for their whole life probably experience that all the time. But for those of us kind of operating in regular society, it's going to be rare. But the fact that you can even get fleeting moments of it can create inner transformation because just even seeing it for a moment, like, oh, okay, (laughs) that changes everything. Yeah, it really does. So I want to kind of put this
1: into context for people who maybe are finding themselves, like we're saying, they're in this point in their business right now where they they just feel off. Like it just is like, this can't be it. Like this isn't what I got into this business for. I'm not feeling good. I know my nervous system is dysregulated. How do they start to kind of apply this and try to move through those levels for themselves? We covered step one is get your nervous system right first. But then as we're looking around with these newfound eyes of, okay, maybe something needs to shift. This is maybe we'll tie into that piece of the void that we started to talk about what's next? How do you
0: coach people through this? Yeah. So you get yourself regulated. The next step is actually kind of what I call unconditioning. So you like shed all those layers of like programmed conditioning that led you to believe that you should be doing things a certain way, that you should be this, you should do it this way. You have to do this, right? All the shoulds and the have tos. Because sometimes you're like, oh, this doesn't feel aligned, but this is what I should be doing. Or I can't do it any other way. And so there's this piece of that social conditioning, programmed conditioning, that you need to kind of like be able to kind of like rip that layer off so that you can start to see, okay, so I'm going to get rid of the shoulds. Now what's underneath of that? How do we get past the shoulds? Even just inquiring within yourself, like when you're doing something, even the fact of using the word should, So I often tell my clients, when you should on yourself, it just makes a big mess.
1: That is funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) And so, I mean, wording is everything. The way we speak to ourselves and the words we use can make a difference. And what I suggest is maybe a first step is if you're noticing that you're saying things like, I have to do this, I should be doing this, I need to do this. So think about when you talk to yourself, it's like your subconscious is a five-year-old. And so what happens if you tell a five-year-old that they have to do something? Not going to like it. Right? There's going to be a temper tantrum. And the same thing goes with if you're telling yourself, I really should be doing this, your subconscious is going, -uh." (laughs) nah. And so the first step is actually just being able to first catch yourself in your shoulds and have tos and need tos and see if you can change the wording. So change the wording to I get to or I would like to. Now, if you try to change the wording to, I would like to, and you're like, I would like to, I really don't want to. That's an important sign right there that maybe that's something to reevaluate. That's a good tip. That's so
1: interesting. This language piece is fascinating. Something that I like to do, and this feels related, is when I do feel really stuck or I'm like, it's off and I don't know why and I feel like I can't do anything, is I just play the what if game is what I call it, where I'm just like, what if X, Y, and Z was possible? And I just make myself write down Everything that I think of of like, what if I could do this? What if I could do this? What if this happened? What if you accomplished this? But what I find is there's even some, and I feel like this is related to what you were just saying, where it's like, I want it, but writing it down feels challenging for some reason. Like there's resistance there of like, but could that really happen? Or is that really what you want to do? And then I get to work through those of <laughs> like what what is that resistance there? But I feel like this is somehow related to the same thing that you're saying here.
0: Yeah. Ooh, I like that.
1: Okay, so we're removing the shoulds and challenging our language. This is all really good. Where do we
0: move from there? And then you can start to recognize like, okay, well, who am I really? And what do I actually want? The hardest question. Right? Because oftentimes if you've been operating from those places of shoulds and you've been doing the people pleasing and you've been doing the things because other people want you to, oftentimes I know for myself in the past... I never really stopped and thought about what I actually wanted. And it can be such a hard thing to even just give yourself permission to answer
1: that question. Who am I and what do I want?
0: Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, you know, in the most recent void that I went into was when I had to, that moment of void is when you are letting go of what's no longer aligned so that you can move towards what is aligned, but you don't know what that is yet. Scary. And in this last void, not only was this letting go of my niche, but also my naturopathic doctor title and the identity that came with it.
1: Does it always come with an identity loss like that? Is there always a little bit of like almost an ego death in there?
0: All of my clients have gone through what you would term an ego death, but I have a little bit of a different spin on it. It's not about that it's dying. It's that you are no longer identifying it with it as your identity. It is no longer controlling you. It's just that it is a part of you, but it is not your identity. It's not the thing that's running the show.
1: Sure. Oh, and it's so hard to let it go when you are so used to it being there and being the thing that like you point to of this is me and this
0: is what I do and this is what I have. And then when you let that go and you put it over here and go, you know what, this isn't running the show anymore. Well, who am I then? I just went through one
1: of these, like this, this year was one of these for me. (laughs) So I'm like, Oh, I relate to this so deeply.
0: And so then the next step of this process of like really getting to know who you are, what lights you up? What do you enjoy? What are your gifts and talents? And I know for myself, what I came to recognize is, so say for example, I'm a highly sensitive person or HSP and For the longest time, I had been led to believe that that's a weakness, right? I had to hide it. I had to mask it. I had to pretend that I wasn't as sensitive as I was. And I know a lot of HSPs I work with will say the same thing. And what I came to recognize is this thing that I had been masking and hiding away is actually my greatest gift. Being the highly sensitive person. Because I can pick up on stuff that not everybody can see and pick up on. And that's what makes my work so much more profound. (laughs) Just giving yourself
1: permission to really see yourself as well, like you're saying. I'm reflecting on, you know, how this has shown up for me as well of, of really recognizing your gifts. That's challenging. I think we're conditioned not to. Like we're conditioned to not be so bold as to say, I have this thing about me that's really awesome. And it's going to be the crux of my business, or it's going to be something, a centerfold that I pull forward to share with others. That's scary in and of itself, just recognizing that in yourself.
0: And here's the thing though, is that your gifts that you have and your talents and all those things that we've been conditioned to believe to play small and hide away, those are the things that are going to make the biggest impact for yourself for your work and really for what you can do to help humanity which is why we're all
1: here in these businesses being coaches being service providers we just want to help people but the irony that in order to help people like you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say this is what I'm really good at and this is what I'm the best at and this is my gift that I get to use my tool I get to use to help other people improve their lives i think
0: most people aren't ready for that when they get into their business it's definitely a journey hmm does not end i don't think there's an end but what i do find is with like each layer that you look at right it's not always a cakewalk to look at yourself and look at these things and move through these dark nights and move through looking at your shadows so that you can integrate them and own them but with each layer a you become more and more familiar with the process so it no longer feels like oh my god what's happening Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing as well is because each time you go through it, you develop more and more faith with the whole concept of, as with all things, this too shall pass. You are going to get through it. It will pass. And you develop more and more faith and knowledge and confidence with the fact that once you do move through it and you're out the other side, you've grown and evolved another level. Mm -hmm.
1: I think that there's definitely comfort as you as we're saying continue to move through these knowing that at the end of it you're going to be a better version of yourself and you're going to feel better than you do in this moment because that's that's healing that's the healing journey that's what we're all on in this life it does get easier though
0: exactly and i know everybody's at a different place on the path and some people maybe haven't ventured as deeply into this looking at themselves yet and i was there it's scary right? And so there's comfort in staying where you are in the familiar. And so, well, I'd rather just stay where I am. But usually what happens is kind of like that analogy of like a flower bud, right? That pressure of being stuck where you are gets so much that eventually you just, you have to, you have no other choice but to venture into it. And then usually what happens is once you venture into it, you're like, why did I wait so long?
1: right. (laughs) Like, oh, this is actually everything I needed. Who knew? Go figure. (laughs) This is such a beautiful conversation, Michelle. I'm like, I don't want to stop talking because this is so just important and pertinent and everybody's going to go through this at some point on their journey if they haven't already had an iteration of it pop up in their life before. And so I think it's just so comforting to know that this is, the work and it's okay. And there's nothing wrong. If you're feeling the call to shift, you're actually feeling the call to do and be more in alignment with who you really are. And so massive permission to not hide away from those feelings or not shy away when it feels like something is off, because that is your internal guidance system telling you that there's something there for you to look at because there's something more for you on the other side of it. I know that you have a beautiful freebie to help anyone who's listening right now get started on this work. I would love for you to share what that is and where they can find it.
0: Yeah, so basically I extracted from one of my online programs a really popular tool and technique that I taught my group. And it's a technique for you to really start to get clear on your soul led yeses and nos so that you can make the most aligned decisions in your career, in your business, and especially when you are making shifts so that you, you know, it really brings you into your body instead of being up in your head so that you can understand what a soul aligned yes and a soul aligned no feels like. And so it's a a 30-minute video, and it's the first 15 minutes that's the instructions. And it'll guide you through exactly how to do it. And as you keep practicing it, you're going to get more and more confident on how to use this technique. And there's dozens of different ways that you can use this technique when you're making business decisions and when you're deciding whether or not you need to make any shifts. So... The website is wellbalance.ca backslash yes.
1: My Canadians there, .ca, I love it. Oh, this sounds so useful i'm gonna go download it right after this episode don't worry everyone we will link it in the show notes for you so you can get your hands on it too and start doing this deeply important work and making progress in your business and in your life to the version of you that you are so excited to be so michelle thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom with us i appreciate you and your time so incredibly much
0: oh my pleasure this has been wonderful thank you so much again for having me here emily my pleasure.
1: Thank you everyone for tuning in and I will see you guys
0: in the next episode.